What a crazy year 2022 has been. We've had extreme ups, we've had extreme downs, and overall, we've learned a heck of a lot of lessons. In today's show, I want to go through my 22 biggest lessons from 2022 and break down the costly mistakes that you should avoid heading into next cycle to help you become a better trader and investor. I know I certainly learned a whole lot this year and I think by me sharing my journey and by me sharing some of the lessons that I've learned, I can also help you guys as well in your own respective investing journey. So without further ado, let's get into the 22 crypto lessons learned in 2022. This may be one of the most valuable shows I ever make um, because I think it's very, very important that you know if you have experienced losses this year, that you take a step back now and reflect and look at things you did right, look at things you did wrong and use that as ammunition to become a better investor. If you have lost money this year, I do view that as the cost of tuition in crypto and you have to maximize, even though it's difficult, the lessons and the learnings from this year in order to become better and in order to improve. If you don't win, all you can do is learn. I don't view it as a loss. I view it as a chance to improve and become a better human, become a better investor. So yeah, let's get straight into the first lesson and that is that DeFi is the only way forward. So throughout the year, we saw many centralized exchanges go down. Obviously, we had FTX, 3AC, Celsius, BlockFi, Voyager, Genesis, just to name a few. And I think this year just highlighted the importance of DeFi and how we do need decentralized applications for people to borrow and lend funds, for people to be able to stake, for people to be able to swap, um, store their assets on, on decentralized platforms, decentralized wallets. It's just so, so important that we head towards a more decentralized future. And I know over time, most blockchains and most cryptos have become more decentralized, but I just think this year has highlighted the real importance of DeFi amidst so much of the issues that have gone down in crypto this year. Now, if we take the events like FTX and Celsius, I mean, we can put those events down to human nature and human greed. They weren't really failures of the technology. They were failures of the people. And I think it's very important to distinguish when a failure is driven by the tech itself or driven by human nature. And I think in a lot of cases this year, the tech didn't fail us. It was the people that failed us. So the need for DeFi is clearer than ever. As I said in this in this tweet here, most of the problems this year were linked to centralization and human greed. Um, and Coindesk did an opinion piece saying it's the end of centralization in crypto, drawing a straight line from Mt. Gox to Voyager, Celsius, and now FTX. It shows how crypto's largest problems are often corporate failures. And obviously, this has also um, uh, become host to a lot of new narratives as people realize, well, you know, maybe we shouldn't trade on centralized exchanges. Maybe we shouldn't keep our funds on centralized exchanges and new trading platforms um, have started to gain a lot of traction. For example, Gains Network, who also sponsored the show, one of the major reasons why um, they popped off this year was because of the migration from centralized exchanges to decentralized exchanges. And products like this, perpetual DEXs that didn't really exist a year ago, now we have great options to actually trade on chain um, with less risk than trading on a centralized exchange. So of course, if you do want to trade on Gains Network on Polygon, they have their Arbitrum launch as well, um, actually uh, later today, which is very, very exciting so you can actually trade on arbitrum um yeah you can trade using the link in the description if you want to if you want to sign up and use a, a gains account and that's just one example of a decentralized exchange that um that has really started to flourish and obviously you've got others like gmx as well apex that have um launched in the midst of the issues with centralization so link in the description if you want to trade on gains network as i said arbitrum launch um which is very exciting that that's coming later um and you can also trade on polygon as well so lesson number two for the year was nothing is too 
too big to fail. So we saw Luna, a top five L1. People thought it was untouchable. Obviously, that inevitably had issues with its mechanism and collapsed. FTX, that was a top three exchange. People thought, you know, after Binance, this is the safest exchange, right? You know, we should be able to keep our money here because it's just too big to fail. But, you know, that inevitably ended up collapsing. So I think it's very important that going forward that we don't let the size of a project mask its vulnerabilities just because something has a billion dollar market cap, just because something is top three in its field, just because something has a lot of users doesn't necessarily mean it can't fail. And we have to approach every project in isolation, look at its positives, look at its negatives, and try and point out fundamental flaws and not let the size of a project, um, not not being uh, delusional and assuming that the size of a project is going to prevent an inevitable collapse if its mechanism is actually wrong. Uh, so that's also very, very important to do. And we can see that looking at the historical snapshot, you know, Terra, it was a top 10 project, $40 billion market cap. That's a monumental valuation. That would put it in the top three today in dollar terms. Um, and, and it collapsed. And FTX, which was valued at $42 billion, that also collapsed. So size is definitely not a prerequisite for um, safety when it comes to a project. And we can see Anchor as well. You know, you may have felt very safe in UST when, when Anchor had $16 billion deposited because um, it had such a, a leap or a head start on other stable coins. But, you know, once it depegged, we saw just how quickly um, that TVL can actually go the other way. So reflexive mechanisms mean um, projects that rely on an influx of liquidity, but also can have the same flywheel effect in reverse when liquidity starts coming out of the ecosystem. And many projects were vulnerable to this this year. Um, Luna is just the easiest example for me to contextualize it. Uh, Larry said, I'll say this um, before this thread gets taken over. He believed before the Alameda collapse that it had the size to buy Binance's FTT OTC. He said the chance of insolvency is near 0%. Clearly, there are liquidity issues and people are withdrawing out of caution. So I'm just using this as an example to show maybe a bit of logic that implies that you know Alameda has the size. Alameda is too big to possibly not be able to defend FTT um, and that the risk of insolvency is low. And obviously, they did go insolvent. So just taking their size into account um, as as kind of like a safety net is, is not really the way to go. And that's not a dig at Larry. That's just um, pointing out a, an obvious fact, and that is nothing's too big to fail in crypto. And that leads me to my next point, and it's that if a mechanism is broken, you know, it's not going to work. It doesn't matter how big a project gets. If its fundamentals are flawed, if the fundamental driver behind, the, behind how a project works is broken, it doesn't matter how big it gets. It doesn't matter how popular it gets. It's not going to work. It's not going to scale. So Haseeb made a very, very good point um, on the YouTube show uh, last week, and I highly recommend you check out that interview. It's at 11.12. Uh, you can check out for a couple of minutes. He talks about this point. Um, it was a very, very, very valid point, and that's we have to work out first before we invest in a project, whether its underlying mechanism is sound. And that is the first box that we need to check off before we invest. And if, and only if we check off that box, then we invest. And then we can take into account factors like growth in market cap and growth in price. But if the mechanism's broken, like we saw with Luna, if the mechanism's broken, like we saw with algorithmic stable coins, the bigger they get, to be honest, it just kind of speeds up their inevitable demise. And that's exactly what happened with a lot of projects this year. So don't let market caps blind you um, and, and make sure mechanisms are sound before you invest. Lesson number four, don't huddle blindly. This is very important. So it's important when you're holding a coin to reevaluate your thesis on a regular basis. So you can do this every week, but I recommend maybe doing this every month. That's a lot more manageable for the average investor. And that means literally going through your portfolio. Maybe you have your portfolio on coin stats. Maybe you have it on an Excel spreadsheet. Go through every holding and ask yourself, 
A, why am I holding this token at this given moment, at this given time? And what's my, um, what's my horizon on this investment? And B, if I weren't holding this token, would I actively be buying this token right now? And if you answer no to question B, then it's highly likely that you should reevaluate your position. I'm not necessarily saying sell, but reevaluate why you're in that coin and reevaluate if there's better opportunities elsewhere. Because the law of opportunity cost states that if there is a better available opportunity somewhere else, that we should take that opportunity. Obviously, you've got to take tax into account and factor that into your calculations. But if you're in a project and you're holding it and you don't really like it, and there's a project you much prefer and and you're stuck in this project you don't like, then oftentimes it does make sense to actually um, back the project that you like and and sell out of the project you don't like and invest in the project you do like. So it's important to reevaluate your position and reevaluate your thesis every single month because things change in crypto. What I mean by don't hodl blindly is don't just hodl because you said you were going to hodl. Things change, guys. It's okay to be bullish on a token and then four months later, flip bearish on a token if new information comes to light. The best investors in crypto are adaptive. The best investors in crypto take new information as it comes and trade based on that information. They don't just hodl blindly because they like the project. You have to actively believe in it and actively like it. And if you only hold projects you have real conviction in and you truly understand, it's going to make it 10 times easier to actually withstand this bear market. Because if you're invested, let's say, in a project, you don't even know how it works, you don't really know the thesis, you don't really have much conviction, and it goes down 50%, you're going to be tempted to sell. Because you don't have any conviction to hold that through really, really, really tough times. Whereas if you do, and you have a thesis that you've outlined, and you have a reason why you're holding that token at a specific time, it's going to be much easier for you to withstand a bear market. So that is a very, very important uh, point. In fact, it's probably one of my top two favorite points. My next favorite point is point 11, which I'll get into in a couple minutes. But don't hodl blindly. Number five, algorithmic stablecoins don't work. I mean, we've seen this this year. UST, Bean, Waves, USDN, USN, just to name a few. I'll go through it. Uh, UST obviously collapsed. It's now two cents. Bean, um, which, I mean, it's experienced deep, multiple de-peggings throughout the year. Hasn't been able to hold on to a dollar. Um, it's been slightly under a dollar, but the whole point of a stablecoin is to reach a dollar. Even hit like mid-70 cents at one point. What other ones did we have? We had Waves. We had Neutrino USD, uh, which is now at 41 cents. That's significantly de-pegged uh, over the last month or so since um, the FTX collapse. USDD as well. Although this has held up to some extent, it has been extremely volatile and it is technically de pegged it's not at a dollar all of these coins weren't over collateralized and all of these coins at some point um were partially or fully algorithmic obviously ust was fully algorithmic and when you have a fully algorithmic stable coin it does rely on one thing and that is an influx of liquidity into that specific stable coin to prop up the price and that relies on a lot of game theory that relies on people speculating on the fact that the peg will hold because there'll be future interest that comes in um, and underpins that stablecoin. And that's what happened with UST. The reason it didn't depeg is because people believed in Luna. And the second they stopped believing in Luna, or the second UST started to falter, uh, that, that whole belief system crumbled. And algorithmic stablecoins, they rely on belief systems. And once the belief system crumbles, it becomes very, very hard to recover because they operate basically purely on sentiment. So when it comes to algorithmic stablecoins, 
Don't trust them. Make sure you fully understand a stable coin's design before putting a cent in. Make sure you understand how their redemption mechanisms work. And maybe just stick to the safer stable coins. Your USDCs, your BUSDs, your USDTs. Of course, they all come with inherent risks, but it's much better than, than being in an a fully algorithmic stable. Now, there are iterations that are going to come out, which are adaptive and, and have kind of um, adjustable mechanisms. So they might be partially collateralized. But to this date, we haven't really seen it work to, to its full extent. Something like Frax, though, that is partially um, algorithmic, that has worked, that has held peg, but Frax is a little different because they've been working overtime to become fully collateralized. So that's another point I want to make. A coin can start out being algorithmic and then transition to being collateralized, and that's okay, but you have to look at a stablecoin at any given moment um, how its design is set up before you invest. Number six, not your keys, not your coins. I won't spend too long on this one, but it's so obvious. The centralized parties, you just can't trust them. And if you're going to hold Bitcoin and or you're going to hold Ethereum, why not do it on a ledger? Why not do it on a Trezor? Why not do it in your own wallet so you actually have your own custody of your own assets? Why would you give that to an exchange that then has um, jurisdiction to trade it or swap it or lend it or do all sorts of dodgy stuff? Keep access of your own funds on a ledger. So do your trading on exchange. It's totally fine. Uh, you know, for, for the record, I think exchanges like Binance are totally fine. I even keep a little bit of liquidity on there. It's fine. But my long-term holdings, the, the ones that like the Bitcoin I'm buying for the next five to 10 years that I'm stashing away almost for my retirement long-term because um, I have conviction long-term in Bitcoin and Ethereum as, as, as assets. You know, I'm keeping them on my ledger because I don't want to run the risk of having uh, my assets on an exchange for multiple years and then suddenly it collapses and all my accumulation and all my hard work is for nothing. So not your keys, not your coins. Um, it's the golden rule of, of crypto and we can see this trend uh, starting to really exhibit itself as well with Bitcoin and ETH balances on centralized exchanges at their lowest level since 2018. And it just goes to once again highlight DeFi is inevitable. Eventually, people are going to have most of their funds on chain. Um, and this also opens up the door for many opportunities. The best DeFi apps, the best wallets, the best interfaces with the best UI for um, managing the custody of your own assets and putting them to work, they're going to be major beneficiaries. And that's one of the reasons why I mentioned gains earlier in the show, because clearly they've been a beneficiary. And there's going to be many more. There's going to be wallets that are beneficiaries. So um, next week, I'm putting out a wallet show of the best wallets. That's another narrative to look out for. But there's going to be opportunities off the back of this shift. Um, so definitely something to keep your eye on. Seven, timing the top or the bottom is impossible. Now, maybe you don't want to hear this, but it's true. Some of the smartest people in the market, they've got it very wrong this year. Some of the best investors um, in the history of crypto and even equities, they've got it very wrong this year. And that's because macro right now is what is um, is kind of like the, the, the tail wagging the dog at the moment when it comes to the crypto uh, market and also the equities market. Macro is driving the market right now. So when macro is driving the market... The only people that really have edge in that space are the ones working at the Fed and Jerome Powell himself. No one else, even though there's very good predictive models and even though we have an inkling of what's happening, no one else knows exactly what's happening. And because no one else has an edge on macro, it becomes very hard to predict the top and very hard to predict the bottom. We didn't know that inflation was going to come in that hot. We had a feeling that it was, but we didn't know it was going to come in that hot and that they were going to start hiking that aggressively. 
that's when the Bitcoin top was in. We couldn't perfectly predict that. Now, of course, once it started to break key levels, um, then that's when risk management kicks in. Because if you have key support lines, uh, that's that's a sign for you to maybe get some liquidity out. That's a sign for you to kind of maybe play it a bit safer once Bitcoin breaks 50 and then 40K and that sort of stuff. That's totally fine. But what I'm saying is timing that exact exact Pico top, that 60 to 69K range, that was very difficult. The ones that did it, honestly, it was mostly luck. They can tell themselves they're geniuses. But in general, I think in my opinion, it's mostly luck. And the exact same thing goes for the bottom, which is now being talked about as either being in or going to be in in Q2 or going to be in in Q3. We don't know, guys. Like, I personally think it'll be Q2, Q2, Q2 or Q3 next year, but that's a prediction. I may be completely off base. All we can go off is the data we have available and the models we have available, but we can't exactly predict it. So I think having a strategy that relies on predicting a top or a bottom is flawed. I think you need a strategy that doesn't require timing the market. And for the average investor, that's an extremely dangerous game to be playing. So implement risk management, meaning, you know, if we break certain levels, you sell off an amount. Um, if we pump through certain levels, maybe you buy an amount or, or you buy on confirmation of a retest of a bottom zone. There's many different strategies you can implement to manage risk. Um, obviously, taking profits and having stop losses is one major way to manage risk, but you do need to stick to a plan um, that doesn't require timing the market because if your strategy here is is to pick the Pico bottom in Q2, unfortunately, I just don't think that's going to be possible. And good luck to you if that's what you want to do, but I'm not trading on the thesis that I can time the bottom. Um, maybe we get a general period, 2023, that is a bottom formation, but if you think you can time it, I don't know. I think you're in for a difficult ride and you may get it, but you may not. And you, you, you can't trade on the whim that you are going to predict it just like you couldn't trade on the whim that you are going to predict the top. Number eight, probably the biggest lesson we've learned this year, guys, in DeFi, chase real, real yield, not fake emissions. What do I mean by fake emissions? Now, fake emissions aren't inherently a bad thing. What I mean is incentivized emissions. So this is when projects pump out their own token supply in exchange for staking rewards. So let's say you stake your Tomb Finance tokens, Tomb pays you out um, in T-share because they have an emission schedule for that. That's They're not paying you out T-shares because the protocol's making a lot of fees. They're paying you out T-shares because they're predetermined that they're going to give that out to the market. Same as Trader Joe, same as most of the... I mean, same as everything, basically, last bull run. Same as all the Solana projects, same as a lot of the Terra projects, same as a lot of the BSC projects. A lot of them had fake emissions. Now, this is fine in the short term because if there's incentives, take advantage of it, guys. If you had stable coins and you put them on Trader Joe paying 50% for three weeks, that's great. That's an opportunity for you to make 50% in three weeks. Why not take advantage of incentivized or fake emissions, right? The problem is when you're in the underlying tokens... Um, that are prop that are propped up fundamentally by the fact that the APRs are juiced up and super high, which means when those APRs start dropping, because eventually the tap has to turn off, then the underlying token drops a lot in price. And a lot of people are caught holding the bags because they were chasing yield. So don't chase yield in this market, chase real yield in this market. So stake in projects that are paying out real yield, which means real revenue, um, derived from protocol fees, real revenue based on swap fees, bridge fees, etc., back to stakers and back to holders. And I think that should be your priority. And the projects that you can find in this niche, I think they're going to be big winners. And I did a thread on what real yield was and named a lot of projects like Dopex, GMS, GNS as well. Another real yield project, of course, GNS has their die vault, um, which you can stake in to earn yield, um, like a 15% a year uh, for staking dine. You earn a percentage of protocol fees for providing liquidity. That kind of stuff is much better than fake or juice 
boost up emissions, right? So I've done multiple threads on this. I think I did this back in August and a lot of projects since then have had um, real surges at times because this is really where the narrative's headed, especially after the issues with centralization. And as I said, you can check out that thread if you want. That explains more about what real yield is, but it's very important to kind of switch our thinking here, you know, and when we do chase yield, only chase sustainable yield. And I think that's a big lesson that I've learned this year and a lot of other people have learned. Um, now, uh, lesson number nine is beware of single points of failure. Beware of systemic risk. So what this means is whenever you look at a project, is there a single thing that could go wrong with that project that could unravel that entire project? What is the specific variable or vulnerability in that project that could see it collapse? For example, Luna. If UST pegs, Luna collapses. There's no half ways about it. There's no 25% drawdown about it. It's like all or nothing. It's like if UST fails, Luna fails. They are so interlinked. The exact same thing is with a lot of ecosystem projects. If Solana fails, like Serum fails. And if Phantom fails, and then some of the pro- some of the decks is like Boo will fail, for example. So you have to look at where a project is linked because the crypto ecosystems, they don't operate in isolation. They're interlinked. And if there's a single point of failure within a project, you have to work out the risk. And it's not just with when it comes to related projects. This is also to do with uh, project-specific mechanisms. So if you're invested in a project and it relies on one certain event taking place, like a certain amount of NFTs being minted or a certain partnership going through, or even like its leader, if it relies too heavily on its leader, and if the leader gets hit by a bus, then the project collapses, you have to identify that single point of failure because that is systemic risk where the entire system can collapse from one thing going wrong. We do have to be very, very aware of that um, going forward in the future. And I think Luna was that big lesson. Um, and that's a very important lesson to learn in my opinion. Number 10 kind of goes off the back of that point and that's don't worship cult figures. SBF, Do Kwon, Zhu Xu, they were all lauded for their genius and in many ways, they all were geniuses. Um, unfortunately though, letting their presumed intelligence overshine the flaws in their project is a big mistake. So I think many people's opinions of FTX, Luna, 3AC and the respective 3AC holdings were kind of blinded by the fact that they had such strong cult figures. Even Andre Cronier, obviously he's back now, but him leaving Phantom, since Phantom was so attached to him, that experienced issues when Andre left. Um, you, you could make the exact same argument for Time Wonderland and Ice, irrespective of their mechanisms, when Daniel Sesta uh, became more inactive and had a lot of FUD surrounding him. So when a project has one kind of cult figure attached to it, be very wary because if they fail, their their entire ecosystem, their entire token could go with them and no one in crypto is untouchable. So don't just assume someone's a genius because you think they're smart, accept that they're human, accept that they could have flaws. And I think that's a much better way to approach the market than kind of worshiping these guys. And, you know, Charles Hoskinson, Vitalik, they're both amazing developers and they're both so smart. And I, you know, I doubt anything's going to happen to them in the future, but just be aware that something could happen because... No one thought anything would happen to SBF or Do Kwon until it did. But obviously, there are t- telltale signs that those guys exhibited that these other guys haven't necessarily. Um, like, for example, Do Kwon, very, very cocky. SBF started getting a bit too big for his boots, um, taking a lot of risks. There are definitely warning signs you can look out for to kind of uh, predict if there's an, an, an inevitable collapse happening. Um, but just be very, very aware, uh, very, very wary of it. Cause basically every main character, um, fell apart this year at some point in time. We could see some of them here, even Richard Hart, whose hex token is currently experiencing its demise because it's a Ponzi scam. 
And that's just that's just the reality of it. Sorry if you like Hex. It's a Ponzi scam. I'm sorry. Number 11, rotating is not the same as taking profits. This is my most important um, point of this entire video. So I want you guys to listen up um, now because I think this is very, very important. I got caught in this trap many times. This was probably my personal biggest lesson of not only 2022, but 2021 as well. And that's, you make a 10x. So let's say you put um, a 10x, uh, let's say you put $1,000 into Solana, right? Solana's $10, it goes to $100. So now you have $10,000. Then you rotate that into Serum. Now Serum's running because it's an altcoin in the Solana ecosystem. Now it's pumping and that goes up 5x. So now you've turned your 10,000 into 50,000, but then you rotate it again. You see some other project on Solana or, or, or you exit the Solana ecosystem completely and buy some Phantom or AVAX because you think, ah, oh, Solana's run. I'm going to get into the next big L1 and I'm going to rotate. So you're playing hot potato and you get into that L1. But eventually the problem is if you're not taking profits back into stables or Bitcoin or Ether, a more stable asset, eventually you're going to round trip because at some point in time, you're going to drop the potato and you know, you can play hot potato for 10 minutes. You, you can play it for 10 weeks. You, you, you can play it for a year, but eventually you're going to be caught holding the bag at some point. And unless you're taking consistent profits, the rotation game is not the way to play crypto. And I'm guilty of this. I'm 100% guilty of this because last cycle I did this. Like I, for example, my Solana investment um, was one of my biggest investments of the, of the, of the bull run. And I actually sold it $200. I said this a few um, days ago that I sold it 200 people didn't believe me. No, I basically sold the top on Solana. I did very well off it. The problem was though, I only took 20% of, of, of those profits back into stables. The other 80% I put into Phantom, I put into AVAX and I put into maybe Ethereum and all of them ended up dropping 80% as well. So the problem is, You've got to take, the problem is if you're rotating, eventually you're going to be caught out. Eventually you're going to round trip. So it's much better to define a profit-taking strategy beforehand. So before you even invest, okay, when Solana 2Xs, I'm taking 50% out into stables. I will allow myself to put 30% into another project because I value rotating because I see a new narrative. That's fine. Rotating 30% is fine. Rotating 25% is fine. It's when you start rotating entire bags that's the problem. And I even know Rand did this himself. You know, he took a lot of profits on Luna, but he took them into projects like Solana and AVAX. And the problem with doing that is they also dropped and they almost dropped just as hard in the end. So make sure your hard work's not for nothing. If you hit big winners, take profits into stables. I've already touched on this a little bit, but I just wanted to reiterate the point that ecosystem diversification is vital. What this means is don't be disillusioned or don't be illusioned by the fact that you're over-invested to an ecosystem when you think you're not. For example, you were in Luna, you had exposure to Astro, you had exposure to UST, and you thought, I'm diversified. I've got 30% in stable coins. I've got 30% in an L1. I've got 30% in a DEX. I'm diversified. No, because when Luna collapsed, everything in that ecosystem collapsed. And it doesn't matter if you thought you're in stables or if you thought you're in a DEX, since everything was interlinked, you weren't actually diversified despite you having the delusion of being diversified. And that is the real problem um, when it comes to diversification in crypto, if it's done wrong. It's that even though you think you're diversifying, you're not really. Same happened with FTX and SALT. You may have had your funds on FTX, but you may have been diversified into assets that FTX held, like Solana and um, like some of the other assets they held. I mean, they're in a lot of seed rounds. So like they held a lot of assets. They held Uniswap, they held, um, you know, Aptos, they held a lot of projects, but Solana was probably the most obvious one because that's where they, I mean, Alameda had 10% of the sole supply. So that just gives you an idea of how much they actually owned. So 
When one token collapses, it drags the others down. So always determine related parties because crypto is interlinked. So make sure you're really diversified. Once again, I'll show you the Solana example. You know, Solana dropped quite a lot um, and Serum went with it because Serum was, you know, the biggest AMM on Solana. And when, when Solana started to experience issues, those issues were represented in Serum, who were also big holders, um, big, sorry, FTX held a lot of Serum as well. So it's very, very, very important to make sure you're actually diversified and you're not illusioned um, by being diversified. Number 13, don't lock tokens. This goes back to my argument of chasing real yield. Um, sorry, chasing fake yield. Don't chase the fake yield and lock tokens at the same time. It's another mistake I made. I did this on Liquid Driver. So what I did earlier in the year was, you know, I think I, I, I got into Liquid Driver super early, you know, at a few dollars and it eventually went to $50. But most of my Liquid Driver was locked. So, you know, I may have made tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, you know, I've forgotten the exact amount I made, but I made, may have made a lot of money on Liquid Driver. Let's say I made $100,000 on Liquid Driver, but it was all locked. So yeah, I was earning yield. Um, some days I was even waking up to $1,000 a day, like paychecks, which is crazy, like $1,000 a day. Like you start thinking, oh, I'm set for life. Like, you know, I just sit back, earn my money. Um, I'll just live on a beach somewhere and earn my yield. But the tap turns off at some point, And if your tokens are locked, you can't get out if even if the token appreciates. So that happened to me on Liquid Driver. My my hypothetical hundred thousand ended up going back down to like five thousand, and it was locked. So even though I had all these gains, I couldn't actually take them. So I think locking tokens long term is okay if you have a super long time horizon. Let's say you're like super bullish on ETH, um, and you know you want to lock that for a few years. Uh, like maybe that's a bit better. But you really, really, really have to consider long and hard about whether you're willing to forego the opportunity cost of liquidity, because most time, most of the time, um, you should value liquidity over the extra yield. 99% of the time, you should value liquidity over extra yield. And I mean, liquid staking now is a huge thing. You've got Lighter, you've got State, you've got Rocket Pool. These are all platforms that allow you to liquid stake, which means, you know, have your token's liquid. So, you know, you'll stake Ethereum, you get staked Ethereum back, which you can then trade, um, LP, uh, borrow against, and you can do a lot with that. So with liquid staking now such a big thing, the incentives to lock are a lot lower. And also the incentives to lock are just more, are just lower in general because the market is um, generally more unpredictable. So I don't think anyone's under any illusions now that locking for four or five years is extremely dangerous. And it was kind of stupid that 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 we were doing so. And I know a lot of you did as well. Um, and I'd certainly have regrets there. Like my liquid driver bags, I could have made a lot more money on it. Um, by the way, the amount I gave you before, it's not exact. I don't know exactly how much I had in there because um, I forgot exactly how, much, how many tokens I held. All I can tell you is that I had a lot of money and now it's not a lot of money. And that's because I locked it and I made a mistake, even though I made a great call. So it's unfortunate because you can do all the hard work, make a great call, call a token that 10, 20, 30 Xs, but then not get to experience the upside of your own hard work because you weren't um, liquid. So sometimes it's just better off staying liquid and investing and not locking it. Liquidity's king. This is off the back of my last point, but I'm taking more of the angle that there's always going to be more opportunities in this market. Like, guys, I know you feel the FOMO when tokens pump. Three weeks ago when Dopex was pumping, you probably felt FOMO. A, a month ago when GMX and GNS were pumping, you probably felt FOMO. And next week, there's going to be another token that pumps that you probably feel FOMO that you're not in and you want to get in. But remember, there's always going to be more opportunities. And in a bull run, this is just as true as it is in a bear market. If you missed the the, the phantom run, there was 10 other opportunities after that. If you missed the lunar run, there were 10 opportunities after that. If you missed DeFi summer in 2020, 2021 had an even bigger DeFi boom. 
there was always more opportunities to come. And even if you miss an entire bull market, there are still going to be amazing um, pieces of technology and amazing projects that thrive in the future. So there's always going to be more opportunities. Therefore, you should prioritize liquidity because when that opportunity comes around, when the stars align on an investment and you want to go into it, you need to have cash on hand to invest. So always keep liquidity on hand. I can tell you how much to keep. Whether that's 20, 30, 40, 50, 80% of your portfolio in stables or fiat, that's completely up to you. I can tell you what I keep. It's probably around 40% right now in cash. Um, I don't like to have too much exposure to cash because I, I do want exposure to upside. Uh, I'm also not just in crypto. I'm also in stocks and I'm looking at getting into real estate. So I'm not just fully in crypto, but I always have my funds diversified. I always have cash on hand because if an opportunity comes up, if tomorrow I see a new project that looks like it could 10x and I want to get in, then I need cash to do so. And I don't want to be funding from other investments and scrambling to get cash together. So maintain liquidity. And when you do have liquidity and when you're considering an investment, remember this quote, because this is the best quote in crypto, in my opinion. When you invest, Every time you go to invest, before you put a cent in and before you take a cent out of an investment, ask yourself one thing. In fact, I won't frame this as a question. I'll just read the quote. For one thing, we usually act too quickly when we're trying to make money and too slowly when we're trying to protect our money. So when you are pressed to make a decision, ask yourself, am I doing this to protect my money or make more money? If the answer is to protect money, act quickly. If the answer revolves around making money, act slowly. So if you're trying to make money, so if you're getting into a project, act slowly. Don't make a rush decision. Take some time to consider that decision. When you're trying to protect capital, i.e. taking profits, act quickly. And the issue is, most people get this the wrong way around. Most people assume, oh, I've got to make money. I've got to do it quick. I've got this FOMO. Oh my God, the market's pumping. I've got to get in. I've got to get in. But you're doing the opposite. You're trying to make money and you're trying to do it quickly. And then the profit-taking side of things, you're doing it slowly. Like, oh, I don't know if I should take profits. It's going to go up more. You know, what if it pumps and I'm not in and it's going to do a 10x and this and that. And you're slow to make that decision. But actually, it should be the opposite. When you're trying to make money, you should do it slowly. Is this a good project? Ask all the right questions. Research the fundamentals. Consider the macro. Look at the market. Make sure your weightings are perfect and your allocations are perfect and you have a time horizon on it. And then if all that checks out, then yeah, make your buy. But you did that you did that slowly. And then when it comes to take profits on that buy, do it quickly. Okay, I just made a 2x bank. I'm taking half out. I just made a 5x bank. I'm taking 40% out. You know, the amount you take at every interval depends on your, on your risk tolerance. I can't give you an answer. I think taking your initial capital out after a 2x is always a good idea. Letting the rest ride, then essentially you're risk-free. You, or, you know, you can even take 80% out if it does a 3x and then have a 20% moon bag. It depends on your risk tolerance, but act quickly when you are taking those profits and act slowly when you're putting money in. And this is my favorite quote in crypto now, because I, I, I sincerely believe if you paid attention to that quote during the bull run, you would be in a very different position uh, than you are now. And I'm saying that on aggregate because most people are down. I'm sure there are some of you watching that are up, um, although it is the minority because I have run Twitter polls and usually 85% say that they're down. So most people are down. That's why I speak um, in kind of average terms. Um, but if you're up, uh, well done. You probably did listen to that advice, whether you knew about that quote or not, you probably did act quickly when protecting capital. Basically, everyone that made a lot of money in that bull run, they acted quickly when protecting capital. And that's the reason why they're in this position. But you, you have another chance. Like it's not over. As I said, there's more opportunities. Just make sure next time 
you approach the market very differently to last time if you'd lost money last uh, last bull run. 16, the crypto echo chamber does more damage than good. Guys, I, gotta, I, I have to um, prioritize this point. Social medias like Twitter and YouTube, they reflect market sentiment. Creators are incentivized to follow market sentiment for clicks. This isn't a secret. Even we sometimes clickbait. Now, I'm always pretty um, confident that the tone of my content is um, fairly unbiased, or at least I try to make it unbiased. But at times, I've been too bullish on shows. And at times, maybe I've been a little bit emotionally affected because we're humans, we're creators. So the, the content creators put out sometimes is affected by the market. Now, since the last cycle, I feel like I've become so much better in this respect and I've become a much better creator. And that's really been my goal over the last few months to become more objective, become the best creator possible and utilize my skill set and my knowledge to help you guys. Um, so I feel like at Banter, we've, we've done a really good job of that, but we have been too bullish at times, 100%. Um, and I don't shy away from that. I was overconfident with Luna and and I was probably a bit um, reckless with some of my uh, risk parameters when it came to like some of the ecosystems I was in earlier in the year. That's okay. Just accept whenever you're watching YouTube and Twitter that um, it's a market sentiment game and not just creators, but just random people posting on Twitter. That The, the average post is going to reflect market sentiment. And I'm not even just talking about creators now. I'm talking about everyone. The comments start to affect your thinking. The general response to tweets starts to affect your thinking. The engagement starts to, to uh, affect your thinking. And the issue with this is most people are bullish at the top and bearish at the bottom. The herd follows what the herd wants to hear. And the herd has this echo chamber where they tell each other what they want to hear. In 2021, they're all telling themselves, it's a super cycle, we're going to the moon, wag me, wag me, we're going to the moon. Now everyone's saying, oh my God, we're going to zero, there's never going to be another cycle again, oh my God. And if you play into those extremes, you're going to end up being just like them, bullish at the top and bearish at the bottom. And those people, the people that trade um, cyclically, they lose money. You have to trade anti-cyclically. And the only way to do that is to do the opposite to the herd and not follow it. And this is something I do now as a creator. And as I said in the past, I haven't always done this, but now I don't give a shit anymore. I'm going to just, I'm going to say it how it is, irrespective whether people like it or not. If I'm buying next year and everyone's bearish, I'm going to say that I'm damn buying and I'm just going to cop the hate for it because the reality is there'll be times where um, where everyone is saying that the, this market's going to go to zero. In fact, the time that everyone's saying that, that will likely be the bottom. And that will be the best time to buy. And you're not going to want to because everyone else is, is going to say that there's further downside. And you're not going to want to buy just as you didn't want to sell at 69 because every single person was saying we're going to 100. You got to be wary of that. And, and kind of off the last point, be wary of influencers. The thing with content creators is... Um, it's a very, 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 very good starting point for research. Like, because if you actually think about how content creation works, if you're following quality creators, uh, uh, then essentially what happens is, you know, they spend five hours researching a topic. They may have even spent a year researching a topic and gaining knowledge in a field. They're sharing maybe a year, two years, five years, 10 years worth of knowledge in a 15 minute video. So content creation is very valuable to consume because you're getting exposure to potentially years of knowledge or at least many hours of research on a subject in, the, in, in a matter of 10 to 20 minutes. For example, these lessons I'm sharing with you today. You know, I learned these over the, over the space of the whole year. Um, and you're watching maybe like a 30-minute video right now, maybe 30 or 40 minutes right now, and you're getting a whole year's worth of lessons condensed into 30, 40 minutes. I mean, how valuable is that? 
Think about the hours that I've spent in crypto this year. I've worked full-time the whole year. That's like thousands of hours that you guys have exposure to um, just by watching one 30-minute video. And you, and you get the best bits summarized. So this isn't just me. This is every creator. If you're following quality creators, that's an amazing benefit. But make sure it's only the starting point in your research and make sure the things that YouTubers say, you just take it as a great point to start, but then you go and do your own research. So I might say, guys, I love Ethereum. I think it's a great project. These are the reasons why. It's your job to go, okay, Miles, that's a valid opinion, I think. Okay, I totally accept your bullish reasons. I also accept your bearish reasons. Let me go off and research those reasons myself. Let's see if I agree with you on Ethereum's monetary policy. Let's see if I disagree with you on Ethereum's monetary policy. Let's see if I agree with you on the impact of the merge. Let's see if I disagree and I think the merge is priced in. Like, you have to take what I say and what other influencers say as a good starting point because we've done the research on it and then use that to reinforce or counter your own beliefs. So think critically. Many other creators have invested in the space, um, a vested interest in the space, I'm always pretty reasonable with how I disclose things. If I if I talk about a token, I disclose that I hold it. And if I am a, I'm sponsored by a project, I disclose that we're sponsored. I'm pretty transparent, but not everyone is. Um, and not all creators are going to tell you when they're heavily invested or advising a project, etc. Um, it's a lot harder on Twitter to disclose than it is on like YouTube, for example. But I do think it's important to take into account when creators have a vested interest in a project um, because you need to think critically and not fall for their traps because there are a lot of traps. A lot of people that post, oh, the next 10x gem and then they're just shilling you for exit liquidity and that's something I never, ever, ever do. I get accused of it sometimes. It actually frustrates me when I get accused of it because that couldn't be further from the truth. I would never, ever do that. But unfortunately, that's only because there are other people in the space that do that. So the entire space gets a bad rep. And there are a lot of shillers. There are a lot of guys on social media shilling and pumping their bags. Once again, something I don't do. Um, if, uh, I did a tweet on this. If I wanted to make an extra few thousand dollars, I'd start a new business. I'd scale an existing business. I'd sell some of my equities. I don't need to pump on my audience to make money. Um, because it's just frankly not worth sacrificing like what we've built, my platform, my reputation just for a few thousand dollars. Like there's way easier ways to make money and way more morally sound ways to make money than pumping on people. So I don't understand why people do it, but some people do it. Um, so you just have to be wary of it when it comes to social media. 18, when the stars align on an investment, back your gut and bet with conviction. So this may sound counterintuitive because what this is kind of saying is bet big, but what I mean here is, you know, many times throughout the year, there, there was a project or narrative I was really bullish on. If you're spending a lot of time researching the, mar- uh, the market, if you're in the market a lot, especially if you're full-time crypto, you're going to get exposure to a lot of great ideas. You're going to get exposure to a lot of good narratives. And if the stars align on a narrative, so the fundamentals tick off, the market sentiment ticks off, a big announcement's coming, maybe you know about it, um, maybe you don't think it's priced in, you can actually bet big on that. And since you have conviction, that could pay off massively. The problem is, if you have conviction and you don't back yourself, you're going to regret it. And there were times this year where I didn't put big size on bets that I really liked uh, because I was just a bit tentative or just lazy. Um, But if you're really confident on an idea, don't be afraid to bet big on that idea. Like don't, and obviously this ties into the point of having liquidity on hand, so you can do this, but Make sure you you fully maximize when the stars align because it's not often that it aligns in crypto. And I don't recommend rushing into this. Things really have to align before you bet big. But, you know, there's going to be a time um, when 
things really start to check out for you in a project or you in a particular trade or investment, this goes for traders as well, don't be afraid to back your conviction there. Um, because one big trade, that can set up your entire year without you even having to play all those other games that, that, you're, that people think you're supposed to play in crypto. So back yourself. Just back your own knowledge, back your own conviction. And the more you learn, the more confident you're going to become in your own ability. 19, learn from people who are ahead of the curve. One way to become more confident in your own ability is to learn from others. There is an abundance of knowledge on Twitter. There's a lot of people on Twitter that are smarter than yourself. There's people on Twitter that are smarter than me. I consider myself smart, but there are people that are way smarter. And I love that because I can learn off them. And I can take in new information that they're giving me. I can, um, I can analyze it critically. And that newfound knowledge helps me with my trading and investing, and it can help you as well. If you follow smart people on social media, if you hear what they have to say, if you read their books, if you take in their point of view, you're going to become a much smarter investor. And at the end of the day, the more you learn, the bigger your edge. Crypto is all about creating an edge against retail. There are a lot of dumb people in the market. They end up being the exit liquidity. Maybe some of you exit liquidity last cycle, but that's okay because the more you learn, the more you stray away from that and the bigger your edge. And now if you're watching this on the 30th of December right now, um, during a very boring market amidst, you know, uh, one of the biggest market crashes in crypto history um, and financial history in the case of some of the centralized entities, then I'm pretty sure you're going to make it because you're the ones here actually preaching what I'm saying right now. You're the ones learning. If you're watching this right now, especially towards the end of this video, you're literally putting this into practice. So shout out to you. Congrats. Like seriously, that takes a lot of balls and that takes a lot of courage to do what you're doing right now. So if you're, if you're someone that's here to learn as well, keep doing it. Just keep it up. Just stay consistent with your, with your learning um, and keep questioning things and keep questioning your own beliefs. And not doing crypto alone is another way to help with this. I think it's very hard to do crypto alone. And this is something I saw a lot this year. I had friends that, you know, they were very deep into crypto during the bull run. They were loving the prices pumping. They were making thousands of dollars overnight. But the problem was when the market started to turn, they were doing it solo. They weren't part of a community or groups and they weren't attending real life conferences and meetups. And they kind of lost interest because staying motivated in a bear market is hard and staying motivated alone is almost impossible. So the way I stay motivated is doing it with people. At Banter, we have an amazing team. I'm not just talking Rand, Sheldon, Hustle, Kyle. You know, I'm also talking all the guys behind the scenes, the show researchers, our research calls in the mornings where 20 to 30 people all get together and discuss crypto. Um, and there's just generally like the group chat's going all day and I'm in discords where the group chat's going all day and I'm attending conferences. Like I'm going to Bitcoin Miami this year. Um, I just went to token 2049 breakpoint in Lisbon. Like I'm meeting people in the industry. I'm, I'm doing calls with projects and teams. That is what keeps me motivated. We're social creatures, humans. We're not made to operate in isolation. Like we're meant to be social. Uh, that's just how we're built because it's harder to survive alone in the wild. That's just in our biology. And the same thing's true today mentally. It's much harder to survive alone. It's no different in crypto. So by joining a community, getting involved in Discord, creating friends, and I think the best way is actually creating a research group. If you can find people, um, source like a little group together. The banter community's huge, guys, by the way. Like our Discord, link in the description to the Discord. That's a big community. And there are people there that I'm sure are also looking for a research group. So why don't you guys meet up in the Discord and, and try and get a research group going? Maybe you meet once a week and you discuss topics. Maybe each week you discuss a new topic. Maybe you have five members and each of you bring up one key point and you all discuss it. You question each other's beliefs. You challenge it. 
It's just great to gain new perspectives and think about how much more efficient you are working at five times the output as if you're researching yourself. If I put in one hour of research myself, but I have four other people that have each done an hour, that's now an aggregate five hours of research that I've done, but I've only personally done one. All I've done is do a half an hour research call to get exposure to those other four hours. That's a very good ROI. So start thinking in terms of groups and community um, and you're gonna, you, it's going to be so much easier for you guys to survive this market if you're in a community. And that's honestly, I wouldn't be in crypto right now um, if I didn't have that community because I'm a pretty strong-willed person. But if I was doing this by myself, man, I would have burnt out a long time ago. Um, and that's not a fault on myself. That's just human nature. Doing this alone is very hard. And if you've been doing this alone and you're still here, like credit to you. Like I don't know if I could have done it personally. And having that, that having that, um, that like real sense of community and team behind me, that's made it so much easier. Um, because just making money isn't enough to stay motivated. There becomes a point where money's not a driving factor anymore and it becomes enjoyment and happiness and community. And, and for me, like, even if I make a lot of money, that's not really what drives me to do this. Um, obviously I want to make money. Obviously that's a key driver, but it's not the only driver. I really value the connections and I really value the friendships I've made. And I also really value the journey we're on and the learning process we're on. And I just think it's just, we're at the forefront of like such innovative technology. And we're at the forefront of what I think could be a huge technological revolution. And that's a really cool thing to be a part of. And I'm so grateful I'm a part of this, like literally on the front lines of this revolution. It's awesome. It really, really is. And I think you guys should be excited by that as well as hard as it is in terms of price, but just try and ignore the price and and, and focus on the long-term goals, which haven't changed and the long-term vision, which hasn't changed. And this leads me to point 21, which is always think ahead. Think ahead into the future of the narratives that you think can be big. Instead of kind of investing in oversaturated narratives and being someone else's exit liquidity, when L1s were pumping, instead of just investing in more L1s and playing that game, forward think. Approach the market with an open mind. For example, like mid this year, the market was trash. Luna just collapsed. It all looks shit. You could have thought ahead and gone, okay, centralized players are collapsing. I think DEXs are going to do well. I think there'll be a narrative here. Hence, GNS, GMX pumping. You could have thought L2s are starting to gain steam. You would have seen on DeFi Llama, the TVO was trending upwards. Uh, there was a lot of social media interest on Luna Crush. You would have seen the metrics ticking up. You could have said, okay, I think L2 is going to be big. Let me invest in some of the Arbitrum ecosystem, which perform really well. Let me look at some of the other L2s that are coming. Some of the airdrops, um, like even Aptos looking forward to move. All you needed to do to get up to $7,000 on that Aptos airdrop was sign up for the incentivized test net. That didn't require a genius. That didn't require an expert. All that required was a little bit of foresight and forward thinking. So always think ahead so you don't miss new opportunities. It's very important to think about future trends and not chase old trends. And the same will be true for next cycle. There will be problems solved in next cycle, which are forward thinking and are based on the problems from last cycle um, that end up being massive, massive, massive performers. I even did this with the AI narrative. I saw chat GPT that was running and I outlined a few coins that started to run and then in the next couple of days, they're up 3x. So just even little narrative, short-term trades on like a on an AI narrative can make you good money in the short term as well. And then obviously long-term, you have your own trends. Always look forward about the problems projects are trying to solve and what problems you think will exhibit themselves next cycle um, instead of looking at the ones that happened last cycle or the cycle before and investing in older narratives. So I think that's really important. Real Yield was also one of these. And number 22, to wrap up the show... And 
by no means the least important lesson of today's video is there's more to life than crypto. It's very easy to get caught up in this game. You know, I've experienced a lot of emotions this year. I've experienced absolute euphoria um, and just that feeling of bliss from making money and just riding on top of the world. And then I've also experienced extreme anxiety. And I've also had some really difficult times this year. Um, Just A, the pressure of um, making content especially when the market's crashing it's it, it's it has been hard as a creator and also um you know personally with just the the addiction to crypto and the and the um mental connection to price and it's kind of like you 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 need a lot of balls and you need a lot of courage to survive in this market you need to be very mentally resolute and i've had to learn that the hard way uh, through a lot of anxiety and a lot of euphoria and just extreme emotions. And as a person, I'm like this anyway. I'm very obsessive um, when I get into something like that's all I could think about. And that has its pluses and minuses. That's meant over the past three years since I got into crypto in 2019. I've learned a heck of a lot. And I've probably learned a heck of a lot more than the average person would um, because I was just so laser focused on learning about this and I was so obsessed. But that obsession came with a lot of issues because you know I, I maybe started to let some relationships slip some of my priorities got skewed, a lot more focused on crypto and work than family, um, not relaxing enough, not taking care of myself, meditating, going to the gym. Like there were times where I was so obsessed to the point where, you know, it became an issue. And I'm sure that's maybe happened to some of you as well. And I think the major lesson from all this is distance yourself sometimes. Take breaks. It's okay to take a week off crypto. It's okay to not check the price every morning. Crypto is not going anywhere, but your relationships, they might be if you don't nurture them. That's the thing. You know, if you have a friend, uh, check up on them today. Send out, send out a few messages. Just check in on how your friends, see how they're doing. You never know if it's going to brighten someone's day. Um, and, you know, I, I, I really do value the importance of relationships. In I mean, that's the most important thing we've really got as humans, right? It's more important than money. Um, but at times, I've let this get lost. And next year, one of my resolutions, actually, and I'll probably do a tweet on my resolutions. One of my resolutions is prioritizing me more. Um, and what this means is, prioritizing my own mental health so I can prioritize others, if that makes sense. Uh, because yeah, it's very easy to get sucked into the game. I've had 20 hour days of crypto research and I think it's very important to have balance and balance is really the name of the game now going forward. Um, but you know, I'm also proud of myself as well that, that I've been able to um, stay resolute throughout tough times this year, come out the other side stronger and actually more motivated than ever, ever, not only with my own investments, but to help you guys. Like my drive for making quality content has gone up to another level. My drive for educating has gone up to another level. My drive to helping you guys not only make money, but become better humans has gone up to another level. And I'm still fairly young, but I want to make a positive impact on the world. And, um, I'm grateful for the position that I'm in, but definitely in, in order for me to do that, I need to prioritize myself. One of the reasons why I'm doing a two week holiday uh, next week. This is actually my last live stream of the year. I will be posting. Uh, technically, it's not live, but uh, I've recorded this like close to the time of posting um, within like a few hours. Whereas, um, yeah, next week I've done a lot of pre-records. Some great content, by the way. Some really, really alphabet content coming out over the next couple of weeks, but uh, obviously not going to be live streaming. I might do a couple live streams to be fair, but no, I, I do want to enjoy my holiday and have some time off. So if you haven't had time off, um, and you've been obsessed and maybe you're full-time crypto as well or just obsessed with it, maybe consider taking a small break and then approach the market refresh next year. 
Um, quick shout out before I head off to the sponsor of today's show, Apex. Apex is an order book style L2 powered exchange. So if you do want to trade, I've highlighted the issues with centralized exchanges. Um, Apex is a very good place to do so. A, because it's non-custodial. So it's if it's not your keys, it's not your coins. That was one of the major lessons I talked about today. Apex is good because obviously it's a decentralized exchange. They're not keeping custody of your funds. So um, they're not going to rug you. They don't hold private keys. Um, there's no client fund misuse risk like there was with FTX with these DEXs, um, especially if they're conducting themselves right like Apex. Uh, also, they're very, very fast. They can process 10 trades and 1,000 order placements per second because they're powered by ZK Rollups. That ZK Rollups is an extremely efficient tech technology, which I think are really going to revolutionize crypto next year. I'm excited to talk more about ZK and have a look at some of the upcoming ZK-powered projects because I think they're going to be huge performers. Um, also, they're supported on Arbitrum, BSC, Polygon, Ethereum, cross-chain deposits, cross-chain withdrawals, um, and also they've been audited and have very low fees. So, if you want to trade, there's a link in the description to Apex. As I said, if you're going to trade, do it on a DEX. Um, don't kind of don't run the risk of keeping your funds on a centralized exchange. And the good thing about something like Apex is you can just keep your stable coins on in your wallet, and you can use them whenever you want to trade. So you can keep a thousand dollars in your wallet on your MetaMask whenever you want to use it. You can use it. But it's not just sitting there in Apex's custody. You've got custody and then you choose when to trade it. That's the best part about it all. So I hope you guys enjoyed uh, this show. Hope you guys learned something. If you do want to check out the full thread and have it in written form, it's of course on my Twitter. I'm actually going to make this the pinned tweet right now. So if you do want to check it out, um, it is going to be pinned. So you you can just you know give it a like, give it a retweet if you enjoyed because share this knowledge with others. And I hope you enjoyed this more long form style video where I got a chance to explain all of these in more depth because you know Twitter's great, but you are limited by the character limit. And I think it's very important to add a bit of nuance to these discussions. So yeah, um, hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, and yeah, I will see you in the next show. Have a lovely day. Peace out, guys.